following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you are a history buff, um, <clears throat> I challenge you to do a little background check on that hymn that we just finished singing, Horatio G. Spafford. This, this wasn't at all how I planned on starting my sermon this morning, but in summary, the man lost his entire family to a shipwreck, and he went back to the seashore, the very spot where they think that the ship went down, and he began pondering what was going on in his life as he struggled through uh, depression over this, anxiety, wondering why all this happened, he penned the words of this song. And as he penned the words of the song, he began thinking, one of these days, I'm going to get to see my family once again. And the very thought of that just brought a peace over him. That's where the words of that song actually came from. Did he live his, the rest of his life with happiness and joy? I, I don't know the rest of his life, but I know that at that moment, he found a happiness and a joy in thinking about heavenly things, not just the sufferings on this earth. We, we all have to endure that. What makes you happy? We, we began our sermon series on the Beatitudes with that question last week. Our sermon series is called Attitude Adjustments. The Beatitudes are the mindset of a kingdom-minded person. It's not a secular-minded person. But it's a person who has their mind set on heavenly things. And as Jesus begins the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, he introduces with the Beatitudes, eight of them in specific, the last two, uh, you can combine them into one, uh, making eight total. But they all start with the word blessed, and we, we defined the word blessed last week just as a general overall biblical definition as happiness. What makes you happy? The, the question I want to ask this morning is, what in your life do you think you need right now? As we think about happiness, uh, maybe your need, your want, your desire is connected with something that you think will make you happy more than anything else. Uh, this morning up in the youth room, we had a little bit of extra time, and normally I teach my young student there how to play pool, <laughs> and I, I cream him just about every time. Uh, he, he doesn't get a lot of joy or happiness out of that, but I do. Uh, but today he put me on the foosball table, and it's like he was eating a bag of chips doing it with one hand and just killing it, man. I mean, he was working me. He just had this big smile on his face, and he was happy that he found something that he could work me over on. I was struggling. I found out that in my old age, my hand-eye coordination isn't quite what it used to be. <laughs> Some of you can relate with that. But there are certain things in your life that make you happy. We went to the men's fellowship last night. Uh, the speaker there, man, he was an avid outdoorsman. You know, catching five-pound bass makes him happy. Uh, killing a, a big deer with a huge rag makes him happy. Just being out in the woods generally makes him happy. But there are certain things. If I were to ask each and every one of you what makes you happy, I would probably get a different answer from every one of you. Happiness comes in different forms. It comes in different shapes. But each and every one of us, we also have different needs, some of it may be financial needs. Some of it may be uh, physical needs. You, I just don't know what your need is right now. 
But at the end of the summer, you're going to find out that there's one need that we all share in common. That's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you've never stepped out in faith and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you've been a Christian for a long time now, there's still a need. There's still an empty spot in your life. There's something that you should be trying to fill. There's an empty void inside of you that drawing closer to the Lord will create, will fill. And, and as we went through last year, uh, hearing from God, learning how to talk to God. We've studied prayer. We've, we've studied the scriptures. We've learned about how can I accurately hear from God. All of those things go into making that relationship closer and tighter and stronger than ever and filling that need in your life. We're in the book of Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount is found here in Matthew verses uh, chapters 5 through 7. And here in the opening uh, 11 verses, 12 verses, we see the Beatitudes, which we'll be studying for the next few weeks. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes what true repentance looks like for a child of God and one who is fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it, it reveals true repentance. We talked about the word repentance last week. It's the Greek word metanoia, where we get our English word metamorphosis from. It, it describes a transformation, a complete and total transformation of your mind and the way you think. So the opening for this sermon sets the tone right here in the Beatitudes, in the first 12 verses. So the question on the floor this morning is this. Are you spiritually poor? Are you aware that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are totally and completely spiritually bankrupt? No matter what you think your need may be, you, you can obtain that need, but you're still going to have an emptiness inside of your life until you realize that what you really need more than anything else is a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's all stand out of honor and reverence for the word of God. And we're going to read through these Beatitudes once again. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and Jesus opens up his Sermon on the Mount by saying, um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That'll be our topic for next week. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these powerful words, for these guidelines that you give us on what the attitude of a kingdom-minded person should look like. And I pray, Lord God, as we go through these beatitudes, that you would embed in our hearts, Lord God, the truths that are here. I pray that you will reveal to us our deepest need, 
Lord God, help us to realize that our desire and our need are not equivalent. They are totally different. But I pray, Lord God, if there's anyone here that has never entered into a relationship with you, that for the first time today, Lord God, you would open up their heart and reveal what they really need. And I just pray, Lord God, that your holy word will speak to us this morning in ways that we've never experienced. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I stated last week, uh, verse 3 and verse 10, those are the only two Beatitudes that are written in present tense. All the others are written in future tense. Something also interesting to note about the way this is written out is that in the Greek, order is important. When you see a list similar to this, Certain words that are describing something, usually the first one that is written is the most important. It's just like when you go through uh, the ingredients on a recipe. Most of the times, the one that you need the most, the one that you're going to have the most of is going to be at the top of the list, and then it grows smaller and smaller in importance as you go down through that ingredient list. Same way in the Greek language, and I think it's very interesting that Jesus opens up in verse 3, his Sermon on the Mount, by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Not shall be, not could be. He's saying that those who are poor in spirit right now, here on this earth, theirs is the kingdom of God. We're going to explore that a little bit more when we get to the fourth point. But for now, I want to ask you this question. Point number one, have you discovered your greatest necessity? Last week, we explored the topic of what makes you happy. We closely analyzed what it means to be blessed in light of what you consider to be your greatest need at this moment. So your spiritual capacity, your necessity, what is it that makes you happy? What is it that you say, man, if I get this, I will really be blessed? I I know God loves me because I have this. I know God loves me because he's speaking to me. What is it inside your spirit that really, really makes you a complete person? If you look at our Baptist Faith and Message 2000, uh, studying the topic of man and what he's made up of, human beings, here's what it states in our quote. It says, we possess a spiritual capacity that makes us moral creatures who can know and worship God. Although all creation declares the glory of God, only humans have a moral consciousness and the ability to God. Hmm. How interesting is that? Out of everything that God created, human beings are the only one who possess a spirit it has an innate desire to know and draw closer to God and can draw closer to God. Dogs don't have a desire to know God. Cats don't have a desire to know God. Cats are evil, by the way. But they do taste just like chicken. I'm just picking. Just picking. But if you look around in this world, everything that exists... You know, the, the book of Romans, Paul says, you know, who can't go out and look at everything that has been created and not wonder who did all this? He's saying everything in creation points toward an intelligent design, a creator. Someone had to put all this together. 
But in everything that God created, everything that you see, we are the only people who possess the spiritual capacity to have a desire to want to know who God is and draw closer to him. How blessed is that? Every person within their spirit and innate desire, they have a desire to draw closer to God. However, when we feel like we have acquired everything, materialistically speaking, that a person can possess, sometimes we become satisfied. Pride begins to swell up inside and it gets in the way of our spiritual hunger for God. Man, I'm happy. I got a house, a roof over my head. I'm not in debt. All my credit cards are paid for. Christmas is paid for. I'm saving up for a vacation coming up this summer. My kids are healthy. But you know, most of the times it only takes one little um, bump in the road for us to say, what in the world is going on? All it takes is for one of our loved ones just to start becoming ill. Something happened to them. And we say, man, what is going on? My, my necessities, my needs aren't being met. Something's going on. And we begin to drift away from God. Our hunger for God begins to grow smaller and smaller. John Blanchard had this to say about what we crave and what we strive for. He said, we will never crave to be filled until we are convinced that we are empty. Think about the story of Job. I'm going to refer to that a lot today, probably throughout this sermon series. Job was a wealthy man. He was a godly man. He wasn't asking for any trouble. He loved the Lord. He sacrificed to the Lord. But it's just a period of a small time. He lost his children. He lost his house. He lost his crops. He lost all of his wealth. And you remember what Job said? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I still have my health. I still have my capacity to know him. Let me ask you this. If everything was taken away from you right now, you lost your home, you lost your job, would you still love the Lord? Would you still come to church next Sunday? Or would you say, God's angry at me, so I'm angry at him? (laughs) Let me know how that works out for you. I've been there before. That's not a good place to be. That is not a safe place to be. But until you become completely empty, you really don't understand what your main necessity in life is. There's three words that you need to be able to say to understand what it means to be poor in spirit. I need help. Anyone who has an addiction, if you know anyone who's had an addiction, whether it be alcohol, pornography, tobacco, to break that addiction, the first step is to say, I need help. I can't do it on my own. I have a need in my life that I can't accomplish on my own. Will someone help me with this? I need help. I need a savior. I need someone who is stronger than me. I need someone who can do the things that I can't do on my own. I need someone that I can go to with my problems. And when you reach that point in your life, when you understand that you have a need like that, you need help that you can't get from anywhere else, that's what it means to be poor in spirit. 
That's when you begin looking up and saying, there's got to be a God in heaven that could help me with this problem. I'm depressed. I'm suffering from anxiety. I don't know where to go. I've tried everything possible. When you are at the end of your rope, that's when God can use you the most. I need help. Basically, in a nutshell, that's what it means to be poor in spirit. It is not until we become poor in spirit that we begin to seek God because of an understanding that there is an emptiness in our lives, a spiritual bankruptcy for a relationship with the God. Most of you know I've been talking about this a lot. I I go running quite a bit. I've done a a 5K. My goal now is a 10K. I'm up to five miles and at the end of that run, no matter how hot it is, no matter how cold it is, there's one thing that I need more than anything else. That's a drink of water. I mean, as soon as I hit that finish line, I've got a bottle of water close by. I don't bring any with me. I travel light. But at the end of that run, that is the first thing that I'm looking for more than anything else. Some of you right now, you've been running a race. You're tired. You're exhausted. But you haven't turned to the right location to satisfy the need that is in your life. And that need is God. Listen to what the psalmist had to say. Psalms chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. He says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul for you, O God. No doubt he is a clear picture in mind. He said, I've seen deer running out through the, the desert where it's dry, where it's aired, where there's no water in sight. And as soon as they get to that brook, they're just huffing and puffing. They're trying to catch their breath, and they just want to drink from that cool stream of water. Most likely, David, this psalmist here, says that is just how I am in my relationship with God. Just as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. He goes on to say that my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. And then he asked this question. I think it's very interesting. Why are you cast down, oh, my soul? That word cast down means a sheet that is turned on his back with no way of getting back on his feet. He'll die in that condition unless the shepherd comes along and gets him upright. He's saying, right now, my soul is cast down. I'm in a situation that I can't get out of. Oh, my, no. I need help, and my help comes from the Lord. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. Psalm 42, that's a great place to go and ponder if you're in need right now. If you're hurting, if your soul is longing, if it's hungry, if it's thirsty, if you have something inside of you that just can't be satisfied, memorize Psalm 42.1, just as a deer pants for the water book. God, that's how my soul longs for you. 
Do you realize that you have a need in your life for Jesus Christ? Have you discovered that on your own or do you need someone to point that out to you? Or can you think back to a time in your life when someone did point that out to you? Or you were in a situation where you had nowhere else to go and you just cried out to God and he was there for you. That's what it means to be poor in your spirit. Some need to pick up the pace to grow closer to the Lord. Some need a gentle nudge to grow closer to the Lord. Some just need a swift, hard shove to get them going in the direction of the Lord. Which one are you? Does God have to just give you that little nudge and say, look, I'm here to help you. I need you to make that first step. You may be in one of those three categories, but every person in this room right now has an empty spot. They have a need that only God can supply. That is when true happiness can be experienced. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's the thing that I want you to remember. Desperate people look for Jesus, and Jesus looks for desperate people. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. You have a necessity inside of you. You have a need that only God can fill. Here's the second question I want to ask you. Have you ever been deeply humbled? Here's what I've discovered. The humblest person is a person with a need. They're not going to come to you all swelled up with pride asking you for something. They say, look, I've never been in this situation before. I've got a need. Can you help me out with this need? This person has found the source of their need and they are making an attempt to acquire what someone else can provide for them. David was a man after God's own heart, but his pride got in the way. He had to be humbled before he repented and turned back for forgiveness of the sins he had committed. Psalms 34 verses 17 through 18 says, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. A broken heart and a contrite spirit, that describes someone who has been humbled. And in David's Psalm of Repentance, Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17, he says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. David was humbled. He said, something's going on, something's wrong. I need to repent and I need to turn back from my sins and God humbled him and restored him and continued to do great things in his life. Necessity leads to humility. Humility reveals a person who is poor in spirit. A a person poor in spirit will be blessed as they draw closer to the greatest need. What is one physical sign of a person who is humble? 
they'll bow down before an individual. Sometimes on one knee, sometimes on two knees. And they'll say, I need help. Will you please help me? I'm humbling myself. I'm throwing myself at your mercy. And I'm crying out to you for help. When is the last time you put yourself in a position like that before God Almighty? You say, God, I'm, I'm sad. I'm hurting. I'm broken inside. I need help. And you are the only source of help that I can go to for this. That's what humbleness is. And the Bible says that one day we'll all bow down at the feet of Jesus. You can either do it now while you're here on this earth, willingly, or you'll do it at judgment when it's too late. The second thing I want you to see about this, have you discovered who is really in control? I'll ask you this question. Do you have control issues? Then you're probably not in need. You think you can manipulate others, you can manipulate a situation, you can get what you want out of it because you have control issues. Sometimes we have a hard time letting go and letting God take care of the situation. When you truly become poor in spirit, you have the ability to say, God, I don't have any control over this. I'm giving it to you. I'm bankrupt. I'm depleted. I've fought this fight as long as I can fight it, and I've realized that I cannot do anything about this on my own, so I'm giving it all to you. The fourth thing I want you to see is this. We've kind of somewhat defined what it means to be blessed. We've defined what it means to be poor in spirit. What is this that Jesus is talking about? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Point number four, have you discovered where God's kingdom is located? So there's just a few phrases we need to uh, get some clarification on in this particular verse. When Jesus uses the word spirit, what is he referring to? And when he says the kingdom of heaven, where is he referring to? When you begin breaking down and analyzing scripture, those are just a few of the questions that you really need to ask to get the true meaning of where the writer, where the author, where God is going with it. So here's what you need to know. What is the difference between your soul and your spirit? The function of the soul is moral. It's the place where your decisions are made. It's your volition. But the function of the spirit is completely spiritual. The spirit is the only way to connect with God. And we can only use the spirit if we believe in God and receive salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to give you some some theories on uh, what people believe that mankind is made up of. Brother David, come see me for just a minute. I was going to use some of our kiddos for this, but uh, I'm going to have to use some adults. Brother Sherman, come see me for just a minute. Fidel, would you mind coming and helping me out? So we're going to say that Brother David is our body. Do a little flexing for me, Brother David. Big and strong. (laughs) So there's a theory called tri- Trichotonomism. Trichotonomism. 
We believe that the body or mankind or human beings are made up in three different parts. This is basically the, the main Protestant conservative theory on this. The next is your soul. Your soul is where your thought process takes place at. When you, when you think about something, what do you do? Do you have a different move that, do you do like, so, I always put my finger on my nose. Marcy knows when I'm thinking about something because I put my finger on my nose like this. What do you do when you think? Think about it for a minute. <laughs> All right, just imitate it. Just do like me. Just kind of sit there. Okay. This is what your soul does. It is your moral decisions and your thought process. And this is your spirit. If you want to be spiritual, what do you do? Okay. He's being spiritual here. Now, we believe that man is body, soul, and spirit. Trichotomonism, that's what that is all about. At some point in time, your body and your soul will be separated from your spirit. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Now, there's another one known as dichotomonism. Two parts. Some people believe that the soul and the spirit are inseparable. Come here, lock arms. Don't hold hands. Lock arms, there you go. Some people believe that the body is specifically material and the soul and spirit combine as one to be immaterial. They will never be separated. But there's a problem in scripture with this. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to go through and it's able to divide the soul and spirit. So that kind of blows that theory out of that water if you look at it in context of that verse. Now, there's another theory, monism. All three are one, and they are totally inseparable. Poor in spirit. Well, where does that fall in at? What is Jesus talking about when he refers to your spirit? Some people think that once you die, it's all over with. All three are gone. Nothing else happens. But once again, there's another problem with that. The Apostle Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He says there's something that gets separated when you draw your last breath, when you cease to exist. Now, Jesus himself had something to say about this. If you remember, when he was on the cross, there was a thief to his left and a thief to his right. One thief mocked him and ridiculed him. He's not going to spend eternity in heaven because he rejected Jesus Christ. But the other one said, I believe that you are the Lord. He said, remember me today when you go into your kingdom. You remember what Jesus said to him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Even though that thief's body and his soul remained on the cross, his spirit went to eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And even Jesus himself about his own person Before he drew his last breath, he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So those are the three views on how man is made up, what we're composed of, how they work together. There's a lot of different other theories that go along with that. We'll we'll hopefully get into that in another conversation. But I just wanted to explain that to you. When you think about poor in spirit, your spirit is totally dependent on God for your eternal destination. Your body and your soul will be separated at some point in time. But it says there's going to be a reunion. There's going to be a a time and place when those two or those three come back together once again. All right, thank you guys for helping me out. I hope that helps you out a little bit on that. 
But here's what I really wanted to point out through all that. Where is the kingdom of God located at? Right inside of you. What Jesus is referring to here, he's talking about a group of people that are blessed. He's talking about a group of people that are happy because they have discovered where the kingdom of heaven actually exists. And it all happens in your kingdom-minded thinking. These attitudes that we're looking at here. The kingdom of heaven too, as it is returned, uh, referred to here, describes the reign of God in the heart and life of a human being. Do you consider yourself to be poor in spirit? Have you discovered your greatest need? Have you humbled yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And once again, I'm going to refer back to the point of ultimate humility. What is a sign of someone who is poor in spirit, who is humbled, who is proclaiming that they need a need in their life? Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2 because I want you to see this for yourself. It's a familiar passage, hopefully, but it points out what I just demonstrated a moment ago, what the ultimate sign of humility is, because Jesus himself is also known as the humble servant. As we're talking about kingdom-minded thinking, as we're talking about attitude adjustments, as we're talking about things that we can ponder on, conditions of our heart, conditions of our spirit, Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes here. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Humbleness, humility, poor in spirit, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance of a man, look at this. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Now Paul is saying, let this mind also be in you. Humbleness and obedience. Is that something that you think about quite often? He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Prophet Isaiah said they led him away as a lamb went to the slaughter. He humbled himself and willingly gave his life so that the kingdom of God can come and live and reside inside of those who are poor in spirit. But that's not the end of it. He says once he was humbled, once he was obedient all the way to death, here's what God did. Remember Paul is saying let this mind be in you as well. Verse 9, he says, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. Watch this real close, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Not just one, but every knee. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Father in heaven. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Brothers and sisters, what is your greatest need right now? Have you reached a point in your life to where you bowed your knees before Jesus Christ and you said, I need help. I don't know where else to go. 
my spirit is broken. I know that if I died today, I'd spend eternity in hell, and I don't want that to happen. And I know that you died on the cross for my sins. You paid the price for my sin debt so that I could be free. And now, Lord, I humble myself before you. I want you to be my Lord and my Master and my Savior. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father God, as we learn how to become kingdom-minded, as Apostle Paul just said here in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in us. To really and truly consider our spiritual condition, our basic needs, our spiritual needs, and whether or not we have humbled ourselves before you. Lord, I pray right now for all pride to be removed in this congregation. For anyone within the sound of my voice, and Lord, if there's someone here who's struggling with the eternity decision, I pray that you would give them the freedom and the liberty to submit to you this morning. Lord, your word tells us that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And I believe that you're in this place today. And I believe that there's probably someone who is struggling with the decision, Lord God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them that gentle nudge, that swift push, whatever it takes to point them in your direction. And by faith, they would step out in just a moment when the music begins and just submit themselves to you. And Lord, if there's someone here who is a born-again believer, if they know for sure that they're a child of God, there's something that they're struggling with, Lord God, and they just haven't cried out to you, I pray that this morning they would discover the freedom that they need, that that bondage would just be released, and they would break out of that prison cell that they've been trapped in and learn how to live a new life focused on you forevermore. We just commit this time to you, Lord God, and pray that you'll do with it as you please. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.